0: So if you want to open up your Bible, we're looking at uh, Genesis 12, and we're going to go through there pretty quick. But I want to point out some stuff because oftentimes we look at the faith of the patriarchs, and here what I'm doing is looking at the sins of the patriarchs, um, and so what we can learn from that. Okay, so we're looking at uh, Genesis 12, 10 to 20, and I'm just going to go through this and read. We're not going to have as much uh, time to, co- to converse until uh, perhaps at the end of uh, the talk but verse 10 it says now there was a famine in the land so Abraham Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land when he was about to enter Egypt he said to Sarai his wife I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance and when the Egyptians see you they will say this is his wife then they will kill me but they will let you live going down to verse 15 and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her they praised her to Pharaoh And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Verse 18, So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go." So was this a one-time incident with Abraham? No, it wasn't. We see this again in Genesis 20. From there, Abram sojourned towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of his Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Then dropping to verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, and you and all who are yours. Dropping to verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And so here we see the next verses is Abraham justifying his sin. We see in verse 11, Abraham said, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me Besides, uh, because of my wife. And besides, she is indeed my sister. The daughter of my father, though though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So what he's saying is that uh, Sarah is his half-sister. Same father, different mothers. So he was just portraying the fact that she's my half-sister and hiding the fact that she was also his wife. Then Abimelech took sheep um, and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. But what we see here is that this sin, this half-lie, okay, big deal, It's okay, it's a half-lie, half-truth, what happens here? It gets passed on to Isaac, and Isaac does the same thing. Genesis 26, 6-14. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks, herds, and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. So what we see here, um, in, Genesis, in Genesis, interestingly enough, it doesn't condemn this. So I guess you could bring up the question, okay, was, was um, Abraham and Isaac blessed because he lied or in spite of the lie? Um, I would argue the latter. And, uh, you know, I sort of have a principle here. Sin can be profitable in the short term but has long-term consequences. Well, what happened when he left Egypt? When he left Egypt, Genesis 16:1, now Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Okay, where did Hagar come from? She came from Egypt and probably was part of the gift from Pharaoh to Abraham. Well, you know the story. Um, Hagar um, has a son, Ishmael, who uh, Sarah says, you know, go ahead and have a son. Perhaps God's working through through Hagar, and eventually Isaac is born. There's conflict between um, <coughs> Isaac and Ishmael and Sarah and Hagar. So she is sent out, and uh, they become a nation. Now, it's my understanding, Ishmael is the forefather of who? The Arabs. Okay? Who wants to destroy Israel? The Arabs. Okay, So that was a long-term consequence. And so uh, I would argue that even though they benefit in the short term, that was not the case in the long term. So then what we see is we, (coughs) so we see Abraham is deceived and Isaac has deceived the king. But now what we're going to see is that not only do they deceive, but they are deceived. And Isaac introduces yet another sin. And it just seems small here and that is favoritism. Okay, we look at Genesis 27. When Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, "Go to the flock and bring me verse nine. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies." Well, I'll continue with that, but uh, just a couple comments. Want you know that um, Isaac, in Isaac's eyes. His firstborn, Esau, is going to be the one to carry on the name. He loves an outdoor, he's an outdoor man. He loves the hunting that he does. He loves the food. But the interesting thing, he doesn't tell uh, Rebekah he's going to do this. Doesn't tell Jacob. He, on his own, he says, well, I'm going to go ahead and bless you. Rebecca hears this, of course. And then she says, verse, uh, Jacob says to uh, Rebekah, his mother said to him, um, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Interesting little verse there because after all this occurs, what happens to Rebekah? Jacob is gone. She never sees Jacob again in her life, never sees any of her grandchildren, and lives under the misery of Esau's wives. But continuing on, verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, My son. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed them. And that's interesting. The question still lingers in Isaac's mind. He said, are you really my son Esau? And what did Jacob say? I am. Okay, so here you see. You see the deception of half-lie of Abraham leading to the full lie of Isaac, and now Isaac is being lied to by his son and conspired with his wife to do that as well. And what do, we, what do we know Jacob as? Jacob the deceiver, okay? That's what we know him to be. So we see here um, <coughs> what happens in Genesis 29. Then Laban, so Jacob flees to Laban. Then Jacob, Laban says to, said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her... um, And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Okay, should it be any surprise? If you're going to deceive someone, chances are you're going to be deceived in return. Laban said, it is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete this week, of this one, and we will give you the other in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so. Verse 30, okay, what do we see here? We see not only do you see the deception, but we also see that other sin rearing its head, and that's favoritism. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. So what we see here is that the lies of Abraham, half lie to a full lie, the lies are getting greater. Um, We see the favoritism, which seems small. It seems small to, uh, from Isaac's perspective, yeah, I like my son Esau, you know, a little bit better, is growing into outright favoritism uh, from Jacob to his wives. But then we see in uh, Genesis 37, (coughs) Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. And again, verse 3, we see that sin. What is the sin occurring? Favoritism. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. So we see not only favoritism to his wife, we see favoritism to his sons as well. And you can imagine how that would make the sons feel. Now, um, well, we know. We see, uh, we see later on. A couple of verses I just want to throw in here. Proverbs 22.8, Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. And Proverbs 26.28, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Okay, so we see that played out later on. Genesis 37, verse 13, And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to to them to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock. And the man said, they have gone, far, oh, gone away. For I, so we, dropping down to 17, he goes to Shechem. He's told that they're go- they went to, to Dothan. So in verse 18, it says, they, the brothers, saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Okay, so going through this again, you have lying and favoritism, and the favoritism is looking like it's going to be murder, okay, because they want to kill Joseph. "'Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams.' Uh, But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, "'Let us not take his life.' And Reuben said to them, "'Shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness,' but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of, this, out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Okay, now when we look at the sons of Jacob, <laughs> the movers and shakers in that group of brothers were the four oldest, okay? Who would that be? Reuben? Simeon, Simeon Levi, and and Judah. Okay? First of all, they were the the oldest sons of Leah. So they were the oldest sons, and then many of the sons that came after, they were the sons of the concubines or the handmaidens. You have Zilpha and Bilhah, okay? So the movers and shakers as far as those brothers are concerned are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Okay, so we know when we look here, and I'm doing some deduction, I'm not uh, feel like I'm not you know, reading into the passage, but I'm feeling like we can figure it out. Reuben is not in on this, okay? He knows the consequences. Judah, we'll find out later, says he has an alternate plan. So the people who want to kill Joseph are Simeon and Levi. And we know that if you look at the, uh, the story of Genesis, what happened when they went into Shechem, when their, they felt their sister was uh, defiled. They went and killed all the people, of uh, the men of Shechem. Okay, so the hot-tempered. Simeon, probably more so than the others. So we know Simeon um, is probably the person who's leading the charge to kill him. But then Judah has an alternate plan. Verse 26, Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, is my son's robe? A fierce animal has devoured him. Okay, so who are the sons that likely had presented the robe to to Jacob? Okay, Reuben's out. I think Reuben's saying, hey, I'm not going to go in on this. You've got to handle it. So probably Simeon and probably Judah, right? Judah hatched the whole plan to dispatch of him with Midianite traders. So, it is very likely Judah has a personal hand in actually presenting the robe. Now, what's cool from his perspective, he says, I didn't even have to lie about it because because his father just deduced the fact that he was killed by a wild animal. Okay, but what happens here um, when they they tell him? um, Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and his daughters rose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So Jacob is in a perpetual, a long-term depression because of the loss of his son Joseph. Now, you can imagine Judah. Um, Judah is probably feeling a ton of guilt at this point. He's constantly seeing his father depressed, and it's weighing on him. And I believe this is what leads him to chapter 38, Genesis 38. It happened at that time Judah went down from his brothers. So he says, you know what, I need to get out of this this, uh, environment. And turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Verse 2, then Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. So what does he do? He's told, these people are told not to marry the heathen Canaanites, and he decides to go and leave his brothers, and he marries a Canaanite woman. Not only that, but when you look at this, he has three sons, and uh, it says in verse 6, And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. And if you read through the chapter, what happens is that his two sons, his two oldest sons, are so wicked that the Lord kills them. That's the way it reads. The Lord decided he was going to kill him. So he's a deceiver. He marries a Canaanite woman, and he's such a bad father His two oldest sons are taken out by the Lord. So then what happens? um, Verse 13, um, well, verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So now Shua's wife has died. Verse 13, and when Tamar was told, Your father in law is going to Timnah to shear a sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Eniam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him to marriage. Uh, that was the custom, because that was the only way to basically supply their needs, was for them, for their, their, their sons of uh, the, the, the person who was died to supply them with an heir. So uh, it says in verse 15, um, verse 13, And when Tamar was told, Your father is going to Timnah to shear a sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance. Well, I just read that. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. And then verse 18, He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. And Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in the womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on the hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach! Uh, You have made for yourself, therefore his name is called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So we see here, not only is Judah, who had deceived Jacob, now deceived by his daughter-in-law Tamar, you know, it's sort of a good news, bad news. Well, Judah, there's good news and bad news. The good news was the woman you went into is not a prostitute. The bad news is she's your daughter-in-law. You know, so uh, it's a bad situation for him. And you know what, you, when, he's, when he's called out by Tamar, his reputation is shot, okay? Um, I mean, you can look at Judah and you say, okay, so he's deceived Jacob, he marries a pagan woman, uh, she's such a bad father, his sons are killed, and then she ha- he has relations with his daughter-in-law. How much worse can it get? I think he's hitting bottom, but it's not bottom enough yet. Okay, then verse, uh, then uh, Genesis 42. Now Joseph was governor over the land. This is start verse 6. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. We know that Joseph at this point is second in command and charge of the food. And I sort of think that he wanted to be on the perimeter because he knew that his brothers were going to have to come and get food. So I think he sort of wanted to be stationed there, knowing that that was where they were going to be coming. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servant have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Then looking at uh, Genesis forty-two eighteen, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine for your households. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. Then they said to one another, In truth... We are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, he still remembers this, right? Years later, did I not tell you not to sin against that boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Now, who do you think you imagine that he held to be put in prison. Simeon, okay? What does it say that? Verse 24. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before his eyes. So what do they do? They go back and they find out that not only do they have the food, but they put the money in the sack. Why would he put the money in the sack? I think part of it is he was not sure if they would have money enough to come back. So by giving them money, he knew that they would have money to return. Okay, so we see that in Genesis 43. Um, And they're told, at this point, they run out of food, and they said, uh, um, I think this is with Jacob, he says, take the double the money with you, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother, arise and go again to to the man. So the brothers have to try to convince Jacob to send Benjamin. He didn't want to send him. Finally, he says they're out of food. We have to take Benjamin. So they take him. Verse Verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and bespoke with him. They replied, Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the father of your God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Verse 26, When Joseph came home, he inquired about their welfare and said, Is, all well, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is alive. He is still alive. Is well, he's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And they sat before him. This was interesting. The firstborn, according to the birthright, to the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Okay, so at this point they're thinking, Oh, things are going pretty well. But Joseph is... Um, has a plan here. And we see that in Genesis 44. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of the sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did so as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had only gone a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, up follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them in these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these, far be it from your servants, to do such a thing? Verse 11 Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was there. They fell before him to the ground. And uh, at this point, they are terrified. Okay, so in uh, verse 16. And Judah said, it's interesting that Judah sort of takes the spokesman's role here. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and uh, he also in whose the cup has been found. So he's saying, okay, we'll all be your servants. But what does Joseph say? But Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. At this point, Judah, I think, is really, at, you know, we've seen all the things that have gone on in Judah's life. And I think at this point, Judah is as low as he can go. And at this point, he is, is looking at, I would call this a repentant speech. Um, What does he say here? This is really um, the turning point for Judah. Verse uh, 17, no, verse 16. And Judah said, what shall we... Uh, Verse 18. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked a servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my father, We have a father, an old man, and a younger brother. The child of his old age, his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to to my lord, The boy cannot leave his father, or if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down to you, you shall not see my face again. Verse 25, and when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother goes with us, um, then we will go down, uh, then we will go down. So they're basically, we have to have Benjamin, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, One left to me, and I said, surely he's been torn to pieces. I have never seen him since. If you take this one from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs to evil to Sheol. So you can imagine Judah, he knows the whole story. He's feeling completely guilty about this. Now Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then all his life is bound up in the boy's life, As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servants, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Verse 32, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So what is Judah saying? He says, take me instead of Benjamin. Okay? The guilt upon him is bearing so much. And finally he says, you know what? Um, he's the one that largely convinced Jacob to take Benjamin to begin with. And at this point, finally... Joseph um, cracks, and he basically says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, and they said, come near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land two years, and there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a pharaoh, to fa- to, uh, father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then we know in verse 50, the, the brothers are still concerned that he's going to retaliate once Jacob dies. So in Genesis 50, we, th- we see this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept, and they spoke to him. His brothers all came down, came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil uh, against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the many people should be al- kept alive today as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke to them. So what do we see? What was really the thing that really ended this whole cycle of lies, of favoritism, um, thoughts of murder? But one thing, the one thing that ended it was forgiveness. Okay. And we know this. I know that we had gone through this in Summerfest of Matthew 18. Um, I'll just paraphrase it because you know it well. About the, uh, the servant brought to the king who owed 10,000 talents. Um, and then when he's released, he's forgiven. Then he, uh, he finds a servant who owes him just a, few, uh, a, a small amount of debt and refuses to forgive him. Um, but uh, verse 33 says this, And should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so um, forgiveness ended that whole cycle. Um, Some of you may have heard uh, Josh McDowell. He's an apologist, uh, written some books, More Than a Carpenter, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. But uh, he said he wasn't a Christian and his father was an alcoholic. And uh, so they had a small farm, and one time, his, he, he really did not like his father, but one time his parents left and they had a farmhand, and the farmhand sexually abused Josh McDowell. So he went to his father and said, "'Dad, this is what he did to me,' and he disciplined him and whipped him and said, "'You don't talk about people like that.'" So you can imagine the hatred that he had for his dad. And some people from the secular side would say, you know, justified, right? I mean, what he did to, to me and didn't listen to me um, deserved my hatred. But what he did, something happened to Joshua McDowell, and that is he became a Christian. So he went back to his father, he forgave his father, and he said towards the end of his life, he became a Christian as well. And uh, you know, some people might argue, well, okay, should you wait for your father to have come to you? You know what, your father may not want to brought that up, you know? so, so I think uh, we are obligated to forgive. The other thing that I don't believe is the case is that we don't have to wait till we feel that we need to forgive them, okay? Case in point, um, Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, many of you know the story, in Place, Hiding Place. Uh, she's in a German uh, prison camp. Her sister Elsie dies in the prison camp and, the, uh, and she's going around the country. She's let out of prison for, through some error, but she speaks of God's love and forgiveness. And so she speaks in Germany, and when a guard comes up to her and says, so glad to hear about your talk about forgiveness, and he extends her hand, and she recognizes him as the guard most responsible for the death of her sister Elsie. And in the book she says she just froze. It's like, I can't do this. But she sort of mechanically just lifted up her hand and shook it, and she said once she did that, the forgiveness and the peace of God just flowed into her. So what I'm saying is this. It may not be something that you feel like doing, okay? But the Lord says in Matthew that we need to do it. We are commanded to do that. Um, You know, I talked in the prison, and, uh, you know, some of the guys, I said, um, you know, for you guys, okay, what if it took, what if it took you coming to prison for whatever length of time you're here for, for you, to get to know the lord because you can look at joseph's story and that you could say you know what i would spend 13 years in prison if i'd be second in command um now i th- they don't think these guys we know are going to be second in command but you know uh they're in second command to the king but if if the lord had you come to prison to come to know christ and eventually know the true king okay is that something that you can view in a different perspective and uh you know, a lot of those guys uh, really have uh, a love of the Lord there. I know I talked to Tom. Tom's been there the longest. Um, it's interesting. I'll just... The prison... Um, we've had problems there with the roof leaking. So when you get a rain, you've got to call ahead of time because the roof leaks in the chapel, the ceiling tiles fall down, and uh, sometimes they cancel the chapel, but sometimes you go and you look straight through the roof and they've got ceiling tiles all gone. So uh, about six months ago or more, they they actually hired a contractor, and he was uh, required to fix the roof and to replace the ceiling tiles. So we went in there, and uh, sure enough, the ceiling tiles look great. Well, as you know, we had a rain not too long ago, and we got an email from the uh, prison that says, the chapel's closed, the education room's closed because all the tiles are falling down from the ceiling because the roof is still leaking. So you can imagine what we're thinking. They spent all that money to fix the roof and it's still leaking and the chapel is, is still unusable. But Tom, uh, I know. remember one time Tom was saying, um, you know we, uh, when it rains, he says, I have cardboard rain gutters around my cell with duct tape and they drain into the toilet. And I said, "Boy, that's pretty miserable." And he says, "No, it's actually pretty good because I'm a cell to myself." Okay, but he also said this. He said, uh, "You know what? There are a lot of people. Um, I'm in prison, but I am free, and there are a lot of people out there that are free, but they're living in prison." And uh, I think that's something that uh, that I will always remembered. But uh, I also think. When we look at the patriarchs, we look at their faith, we need to be reminded they were not saved because of their works. We see it just, I think it emphasizes what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace have you been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, Okay, the line of Christ, okay, the first three are easy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who's the fourth? Judah, who's the fifth? Perez, Perez right. It was the, da- the son through the daughter-in-law and not his son, his son, Sheila. So I think we consistently see through the scriptures. What does God do? He uses someone like Perez. Um, we see Rahab the prostitute. Uh, we see Ruth the Moabite. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, uh, we talked about the genealogy of uh, the genealogy that we are grafted in and we are adopted as, uh, because we're Gentiles. And one of the Spanish guys says, well, you guys you know, do what you want with that, but I'm claiming my, staking it, uh, my, my genealogy through this guy Perez. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> so th- what's the whole point of this? Um, and just sort of following up with this. Um, when it comes to speaking God's word, we speak the truth of God's word, and sometimes we feel like we need to um, be the people that are going to convict people of sin. And the reality of it is, it's the Holy Scriptures that are going to convict people of sin. I've heard that Charles Wesley was converted by a pretty itinerant layman who was speaking the truth of the gospel, and he was converted. And uh, I think that speaks powerfully to this, the spirit of the gospel. And you know what? We go to the prison, there's 55 guys. And today, um, there's Henry's going there with a guy, an attorney named Tim. And they're going to be crowding into that chapel. And I know that uh, the other rooms are closed. And so uh, there's not going to be enough chairs. They're probably going to meet in their groups, one group in the hallway, probably sitting down in tiles. But they're going to be listening to God's word. And uh, I think that's, that's powerful. And the point of it is, is this in the prison. We have 30 Spanish guys who are studying God's word. Of the seven guys that go there, the total amount of Spanish that we know could fit on an El Pollo local menu, okay? <laughs> so a lot of it is, how does this happen? I don't know. We're just faithful to God's word, and we continue to do that. As I understand, there's about nine classes that now are considering to have... Um, uh, classes in in prisons uh, when i went there a year and a half ago to dallas um i talked to uh, the guy there and I said well this is what we're doing because it's not quite the way it needs to be done and uh, he said well that's good that's you know what you really can't do that and so uh that's just not the way we do things so uh when i got back one of the guys who's in the prison his mom's in, in in bible study fellowship at pleasant valley so i said you know what, why don't you email this guy Tom and just tell us about how it's affecting your son. Um, and so she did, and I don't know what she wrote, but after that uh, headquarters have been saying, what can we do for you, okay? So, so their, Lord, their son is being ministered to, and uh, you know, God's work is being done. So any comments? And I guess, I guess the, the challenge it is for us as people, what sins in your life, how be it small, Do you think, you know what, I don't really think I need to deal with it. It's such a small scale. But realizing that those sins not dealt with can be passed on from generation to generation, and chances are they're going to escalate. And who are those people in your life that you need to forgive? Um, not because we want to, not because we, we feel like we feel like it, but because of what it says in Matthew that we are we are instructed to do so because of what Christ has forgiven us to do. And so any comments before we go to the Lord in prayer? Okay, let's pray.